Okay, so today is class 22, and what we're actually going to talk about, despite the, the title of the video, is um, praying at home. Home is church. Oh, okay. And um, kind of, we're going to go through some examples of how some people have their setup and things of that nature, but, but what this video talks about is some general things that actually help with that. Um, as well as some other things. But so this is B2B 103, five ways to jumpstart your spiritual life. Hey everybody, this is Steve, and building a spiritual life is easier said than done. Last week we went over six things we should all be doing to make the most of the year ahead. You should check it out. It's hard to argue with, right? I mean, I think we all realize we should be making time for prayer and helping people in need attending liturgy. The trouble for most of us comes in actually following through. So we may start praying in the morning and then stop after a few days. We may start volunteering at a local soup kitchen and then find we're too busy to keep it up. We may start attending liturgy every Sunday, but every Sunday soon becomes every few Sundays or every few months or just every Christmas and Easter. So... What do we do? Well, here are five things you can start doing right now to jumpstart your spiritual life and get over the obstacles that may be in the way. Number one, clean your room. When we talked about fasting on Be The Bee, we pointed out the link between body and soul. What we do with our bodies can affect our souls because a human being is made of both body and soul, and the two are inherently connected. So developing the strength to fast from meat and dairy for 40 days during Lent can help give us the strength to pass through other temptations. Saying no to the temptation of cheeseburgers can help us say no to the temptation to gossip about someone or hit someone when we're angry or look at the wrong things online. Similarly, prayer can be difficult for internal reasons because our minds are cluttered and our hearts are clouded. And even when it's difficult to deal with that inner disorder, we can help by creating an outer order. As St. Seraphim of Seraph once said, if you want to pray, first pick up a broom and clean up your room. We can make sure that our room is neat, that our desks are tidy, that we have a clean and orderly place set aside for our icons and daily prayer. Being in a calm place, like a peaceful seashore, can put us in a calm state of mind. And being in an orderly place can put us in an orderly state of mind and help remove some of our distractions. Sometimes, even something as simple as just standing in front of our icons for a minute, even when we're not internally ready to pray, can help open the doors of prayer. And the next tip will take us a bit further by focusing on what's actually going on up here and in here. Number two, empty your head. Besides simply putting ourselves in an orderly, peaceful frame of mind, we need to acknowledge something. Our minds are way too full of stuff. Our heads are cluttered with to-do lists and reminders and appointments. Sometimes I'll notice during liturgy that I'm thinking about our list for the grocery store rather than, you know, the liturgy. It's way more helpful to take a little time to get organized. Whether you like physical paper or prefer apps, get every idea and thought out of your head and into a system you trust. Appointments can go in your calendar. Tasks can go in a planner or an app. Ideas can become concrete projects with a timeline. And every time you have a new idea or remember something you need to do, write it down. Get it out of your head and into your system. The more organized you are, the more your thoughts and ideas are collected and processed, the more likely you'll be able to focus on what you're actually doing. So when you're trying to pray, you can actually pray. 
because your grocery list is up to date and you have a list of all your homework assignments ready for later when it's time for homework. Keep in mind that this is just a first step. We'll revisit this whole idea of dealing with your thoughts in a later episode. Back to our list of tips, part of getting organized is figuring out what you can and can't do. Number three, start small. If we're able to start praying or fasting or serving others, we may find that we quickly lose the ability to follow through. When we're fasting, we may be tempted to go from not fasting at all to strictly avoiding all meat and all dairy overnight. When we're praying, we may be tempted to go from not praying at all to reading all the hours and doing hundreds of prostrations a day. The trouble is, when we take on too much too soon, we usually end up abandoning it altogether. So instead of jumping into a fasting or prayer rule that's better suited for someone with a bit more experience, we should ease into things and let our spiritual muscles grow. It's better that we have a relatively light prayer rule and yet follow it every single day than that we have a long and difficult prayer rule that we abandon after just a few days or weeks. Speaking of following through, this next tip is a simple way to follow through on the appropriate goals we set in our spiritual lives. Number four, write down your goals. We generally set lots of goals in our lives and yet most of us have trouble following through. One study found that a simple action can make you significantly more likely to achieve your goals. Just write them down. Links to the study and related blog posts down in the doobly. Writing down our goals helps us to be concrete and specific so we can better understand what exactly we're working towards. So don't simply say that you're going to pray more. Write down that you're going to, for example, pray the Lord's Prayer every morning when you wake up and every night before bed. Don't simply say that you're going to fast more. Write down that you're going to, for example, not eat meat every Wednesday and Friday and every fasting period of the church. Don't simply say that you're going to be more helpful. Write down that you're going to, for example, do the dishes every night after dinner and volunteer at a local shelter once a month. And keep your goals handy so you can look at them and see how you're doing. I keep my goals open on my laptop so I can look at them every day. Yet besides just writing them down, the study found an additional thing that makes us even more likely to follow through on our goals. And that takes us to our last tip. Number five, talk to a spiritual father. The study found that following up with someone and being accountable for our goals makes us significantly more likely to follow through. And when it comes to the goals we set in our life with Christ, there's no one better to walk with us than a spiritual father. Aside from simply hearing our confession and walking us through the really important sacrament of repentance, a spiritual father can give us practical guidance and help us apply all these tips in our lives. Because that's ultimately the point, right? To put all of these things into practice and live closer to God each and every day. My buddy Christian has a great episode of The Trench explaining more about why spiritual fathers are so great in our lives. Check it out. So remember, to jumpstart our spiritual lives, we should clean our rooms, empty our heads, start small, write down our goals, and talk with a spiritual father. Hopefully, these simple tips can help us develop our relationship with Christ each and every day. That way, as we continue with new episodes of Be the Beef, we're doing more than simply learning about the faith. We're growing in the faith by growing closer to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So let's Be the Beef and jumpstart our spiritual lives. 
be the bee, and live orthodoxy. Remember to like and subscribe and share. I'll see you all next week. Thanks to our supporters on Patreon who helped make this episode possible. To support the creation of... Okay. So, I want to talk today about um, the home as church. And there's a couple things in here that, that he talked about that are very, very applicable. Um, I just started a new job. And for the last, I don't know how many years, I had an office. And I went to the office. That's where I did my work. And when I came home, I was at home. But now, I don't have an office. So trying to do my work, I found, in my home, is very distracting. Right? Because there's too many things around that I'm used to doing at home for me to concentrate on my work. And the same, I think, for most of us is true with prayer. We come to church, and this is a dedicated place for prayer. So we find it easy to pray when we come to church, but when we go home, there's too many distractions, and there's too many things that we think about, and or or we even forget about it till like we're tired and we're about to go to sleep. It's like, wait, I should pray. I didn't pray today. So that you know, and then what happens the next night? We forget, and we don't have a regular prayer life. So one of the things that that is very helpful then is to uh, it's just like working out. You know, if we go to the gym, we work out. If we go home. Well, we could do some of the same things there, but we don't. Why? Because it's, that's really not, like, not the place we think of working out, right? And it's um, in First Timothy, uh, Paul talks about uh, spiritual training. And the word he uses is gymnasia, which is the word for, that we get gymnasium from. Spiritual training is much like physical training. And we have to put the same effort into it if we're actually going to you know, build like he calls the spiritual muscles, uh, and build our spiritual life. And we start out small, like he said in the video. You know, you're not going to go into a gym and just say, okay, today I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to deadlift 500 pounds. I'm just going to do that, right? No, that's not within our capabilities. So if we go home and say, okay, we're gonna do, I'm going to do 100 prostrations and whatever. Well, that's generally not within our capabilities either. I'd be worn out by 100 prostrations. Um, I'd be worn out probably by two prostrations, but, because <clears throat> I'm not used to doing prostrations. So, as Father Hopko said in the video, you know, we pray what we how we can, um, not like we think we must, so, because once we, once we start doing that, then it's just like working out at the gym. You know, you may start out light and maybe do five reps, and once you get to five reps and that gets easy, then you get to ten and you go from there, Right? So, but what it helps to, to do is it helps to have um, a dedicated space to do that. And um, most all of this I'm stealing today, except for the video today, most of all the rest of this I'm stealing from a presentation that, um, that Sandy Mitchell did. And so some of this material I got from her. But um, on the, this is the Antiochian.org website. And you can look at this thing today. It's called 10 Steps to a Better Prayer Life. And the first thing they say is, designate a prayer space. Okay. 
So what do we mean by that? Designated prayer space. Do we have to build on a room to our house? No. But just have some place in the house, big or small, that's just dedicated to prayer. A lot of people will do a prayer corner. Okay? Some people, and I'll show you some examples of some things people have done. Some people like put all their icons above their fireplace if they've got a fireplace and that becomes then the place they stand and they pray. Um, but, and I'll show you examples. She's got a nice slideshow that, that she put together of various places that we can just dedicate to prayer. It doesn't have to be real big. You'll see some in there where one guy's basically got a table and he's got a kneeler and a couple icons. And that's it. I mean, it's a little tiny table, but, but that's all. You know, it's not a place to put your car keys. It's not a place to put your phone. You know, it's not a place to put your wallet, whatever, when you come in. It's just for prayer. Okay. So the first thing they say is designate a prayer space. The second one is acquire a time. Now, usually for me, because I'm horrible with prayer, um, the only time I actually think about it is right before bed, or, right, or I'm in bed and I fall asleep, I'm about to fall asleep, and I'm like, no, I should have prayed today, right? But what does that mean? That means I'm giving, giving God the worst part of my day, right? Right before I fall asleep, right before I've done everything else that I think is important, oh, well, I guess I've got a couple minutes to spare for God, right? So the best way to do it is actually to set some, some specific time um, aside. It can be bedtime, but, but make sure that it's, it's planned and it's part of the routine, not, and it's not the last thing you do. Um, if you look in any of our prayer books, either Western Rite or Eastern Rite, there's a difference between the evening prayers and the Compline prayers, or the bedtime prayers. Um, and both are good. Um, and bedtime prayers are a good way to start if you don't have a regular prayer routine at home. Um, but the best time, usually, is when you get up first thing in the morning. So that means when you begin your day and you're thinking about God and you're praying, then all the rest of your day follows from that, as opposed to just kind of God being the tail end of one's day. Okay. Um, assemble an altar. Well, okay, so in, in the dedicated space, it shouldn't just be a, a blank space, um, icons, it helps to have icons. Why does it help to have icons? To focus you. It helps focus. It helps focus. It helps remind us of why we're there. Um, it helps us remember um, uh, those who have gone before us, right? Um, the interesting thing about traditional Eastern iconography is that when you have um, in, the, in the West, we have this sense of perspective where if I have a painting, right, and one of the great advances of Western art was that you have a single point of disappearance. That is, if you draw lines through any, any points in the landscape, they all come to a single point that actually is, disappears. And that's the back of the horizon. That's the, that's the place where, you know, everything kind of falls off. So everything's big in the front and small in the back, right? Because it's just like our eye. If I look at something 
I want to look at my hand up close, it's real big. I move it out here, it's not so big, right? But that's not the way what Eastern iconography works. Because that, and the reason that the Western works this way is because we're the observer and we're looking into the landscape. But the way an icon works a lot of times, it looks bizarre. Some of them look really bizarre because they're the opposite. Instead of everything disappearing to a specific point uh, here, in the, in the you know in the back of the painting, they actually come. Not, I don't even know how to draw this. They actually come out. Okay, so big things are in the back, small things are in the front. So what does that mean? Well, we call icons a window into heaven, but guess what? Windows are two ways, aren't they? A real window you can see two ways and what this means is that the icons are written in such a way that the perspective is that of the person depicted in the icon we're not looking at them we're the point of disappearance they're looking into our landscape they're looking at us okay so scripture talks about us being surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, right? Well, that's the icon being written that way is to emphasize that they are witnessing everything we're doing. They're looking from heaven at us, not necessarily us looking at them in heaven, right? So it's a two-way thing. So it looks kind of bizarre to our Western eye because we're so used to everything disappearing in the distance, right? So, um, so get some icons. If you have icons, um, if you start out with nothing else, have a cross. Right? Or have icons of the Blessed Mary and Christ. And if you have all three, then Christ goes on the right, the cross goes in the middle, and Mary goes on the left. Right? So this is XC, and oh, this is IC, and this is MR, we'll call it. Okay, so Christ, the cross, Mary. If you have saints, they can go on either side, above, below, what have you. You'll see some people have one icon, some people have three icons, some people have 30 icons. Okay. It just depends on, on their particular needs and their preferences. Acquire a library. Start with the Bible, then get a small Orthodox prayer book. After that, start collecting books. So, like Living the Liturgy by Father Stanley Herakis, uh, The Way of the Pilgrim by a, a Monk for the Life of the World, uh, Schmemann, Beginning to Pray. Anyway, Father can. Father has a whole list of books, if you don't have any books. Um, and then the other thing is prayer. Now, I always have a tough time with prayer. Because I never know what to say. Especially because it's hard, because we don't like get immediate feedback. I'm used to getting immediate feedback when I speak to people. You know, and I'm trying to gauge what I'm going to say next based on what 
they're doing. So like if y'all about are about to fall asleep, I'm probably gonna cut this short. But <laughs> <laughs> right. But if you're really interested, then we you know we'll go for a while. But um, prayer is hard because we what we don't get that immediate yeah. feedback, do we? Not, we think it's a dialogue, but. It seems so often like a monologue. It, it's a dialogue, but it seems like all God is saying is like, mm-hmm, 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 mm-hmm. You know, it's hard to dialogue with somebody who's just doing that, aren't they? Because, it's, now, obviously God answers all prayers, not in that way necessarily we hope that he might, right? But, yeah, it's hard to have a dialogue with somebody who you can't hear talking back to you. Right. And in so many of the things, it sounds like you almost have to go into a trance for an hour just to get silent enough to hear God. Yeah. And I'm sorry, I don't do that. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I don't either. I've never been able to, you know, because I, I, I have such horrible ADHD, uh, you know, it's like, okay, you're getting sleepy. Oh, look, hey, there's a squirrel. Yeah. So, you know, yeah. you know, that kind of thing. Our minds wander. You know, and he talks about, well, empty your mind. I, I think it's empty until I go to I got to empty, yeah, I think it's empty, and I think I've got everything, and it's like, oh, look, something else. So, you know, some of us have more trouble with that. But I guess the important part is pray even if, it seems like nobody's listening. Okay? And don't worry about what you're saying. Just say something. Just say what's mm -hmm. on your heart. Right? Um, we have written prayers. Okay? We're not Protestants. We have written prayers. But the written prayers are, are not a, the exclusive way for us to pray. But they are certainly guides for us. For example, why do we have, why do we have the prayers of the people in the liturgy? Why do we do that? Oh, so, call them. No. <laughs> That's a good thought. Um, well, you, but, but it you serves the same. Everybody, what's going on, yeah. and who needs our prayers? Well, okay, that's and that's a good thing. But even on even on weekdays, for example, if you come to a weekday mass, we don't mention names. We don't say any of the names, right? But in general, he just says for in the world need right, that prayer. Right. But what it what's important <laughs> is, and the same is true of the Great Actinia in in the Eastern Rite, is. We go through, and even if we're not mentioning individual names, we're mentioning classes of people who need our prayers, right? So the prayers of the people for me, and, and the Great Actinia and the Eastern Liturgy, have always served kind of as a checklist. Okay, I need to pray for those who are sick. I need to pray for those who are traveling. I need to pray for those who are in prison. I need to pray for our bishops. I need to pray for, you know, and all those people who are listed in there. That's the purpose of our written prayers, is to help us remember who needs the prayers, who needs the prayers and who, and, and, and so that we don't forget anybody. Because if it's just me, you know, I always think right after we pray a bunch, I'm like, oh wait, I should have remembered so-and-so. Well, then I just did, and God knows that, right? But that's what those prayers serve for us. So when we pray at home, yeah, use, use a prayer book, use something like that, but don't feel limited to that. I think prayer, prayers, written prayers also serve another purpose. 
is, like I said, I find it difficult to pray. So, um, spontaneously. I do too. I've never right. been able to do that. Yeah. I've been using the, um, the little red Eastern prayer book sure. for, well, I guess I started when I was a teenager. Yeah. And, you know, I have it memorized. Oh, sure. The ones I do. And yes. It, you know, it has all the things that add your own personal prayers. And then yeah. you can do the, for this. Yeah. All, there's another list of things, yeah. probably the close to Tinio, something you talk about. Yeah. And then there's, you know, for your, um, brothers, sisters, relatives, and friends, and then you can go free range on everything exactly. there. Exactly. I think, I think the second, the other purpose of prayers like that is to help us when we find it difficult to pray. Because it gives us an entry into prayer with that, that, um, you might not be able to do on you your own. You might not be able to do on your own. As, as, if it's part of a routine, and even if it's not, you know, like you said, you've got it memorized because you do it every day, it, but it it's a good way zone. to start into a routine. It gets you in the zone. It does. It gives, it gives it your gives, mind focus. Yeah, it does. And that's that's the purpose. I think that's the other purpose is that that when we find it difficult to pray, we can always open the book and hear some prayers, and they at least start us off. And we tap into this, um, what is it? The spiritual. Um, I want to say history, but that's not the right word. Legacy or tradition. Tradition, yeah. yes. We tap into what's already in the church spiritually yeah. through the prayers. Yeah. You know, one of the interesting things that, that I saw um, that ties into that as well is I saw it was something from the 50s and they had a map of the world and it showed on Sunday every single place they were having mass in the world. This is a Catholic picture. But what they were saying was, 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, the Mass is being offered around the world. And even if you're in a strange place at a strange time, and it's 4 in the morning, you can tie into somebody in the world who's saying Mass. Right? Which I thought that, you know. And that's, that's, I think, ties into what you just talked about was, no matter when we pray, there are thousands of others in the world praying at the same time. Whether somewhere, some way, whether they're monks in a monastery or they're just ordinary people in their homes, and so we tap into that that uh, that spiritual kind of um, you know continuity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the next thing they talk about is acquire a spiritual guide. <clears throat> Okay, and we talked about this a couple weeks ago. That was our class a couple weeks ago on the importance of a spiritual father. 95, 97, 98% of the time, who should that be? The priest. A priest in your parish. Yeah, unless there's other circumstances where, um, and, I, and, and you'd always check with him first anyway. Um, you know, if you have a long-standing relationship with somebody else, that's great. Uh, but just let your local priest know. Um, I had one priest tell me, you know what? I don't, uh, I don't think I'm the right person for you. Here's who I think maybe you should talk to. And if they, if they're they're good, that they'll do that. They'll say, look, you're you're, uh, we, you know, we're not a match. Which it kind of shocked me when he when he first did that. It wasn't, it wasn't father. It was this was a long time ago. But um, the person that he hooked me up with. Um, he and I headed off real well, and, and we had some very good talks, probably better than I would have had with 
with the original person that I was supposed to go to. So, um, so with that, I, there's some other steps on here. I will, um, oh, one is, okay, so the rest of these are fasting and almsgiving, always good. Build on what you already have. If you have a routine, build on it. Don't think you should do something just, you know, like completely different. Um, sanctify all that you do. Uh, it's hard during the week, but we have to remember God is with us all the time. Um, and then he says, this, this is interesting. Remember the power of the life-giving cross. The sign of the cross is a reminder of Christ in our lives. Uh, blessing ourselves, blessing oneself with the cross by holding the first two fingers of the right hand and thumb together represent the Holy Trinity. The last two fingers held to the palm represent the two natures of Christ. Orthodox Christians cross themselves from the head to the breast and from shoulder to shoulder, right to left. This unique and all-embracing symbol shows that the cross is the inspiration power and indeed the very content of our lives. So, with that, I'm going to show you some examples that Sandy put together. Oh. So, creating sacred space in the Orthodox Christian home. So, let's start with some icons. For example, maybe you decide your prayer space, especially like for a family, uh, is going to be in the living room or, you know, the, the den. It can be something simple like just a small niche like that. Um, <clears throat> one of the things you'll see is, um, you know, along with the icon, you can do candles. Um... Uh, the Greek tradition is oil lamps, olive oil lamps, um, and what they suggest is if you um, if you have a votive candle, put a little water in the bottom so that when it gets all the way to the bottom, it'll snuff itself out. Um, if you have an olive oil lamp, um, put a little red wine in the bottom first instead of water, and then pour the oil in on top of that. And what happens then is if the wick gets all the way down, um, if it was water, it might flash and explode. And I've seen those little votive glass things explode. It's not pretty. And you don't want to be in the, in the way. Um, but red wine won't do that. So you put a little red wine in the bottom and then fill it with oil. And they have like the little floating wicks. But um, I've never seen an oil lamp get all the way to the bottom unless somebody just forgot to to blow it out right now vigil lamps what they talk about is you should leave those burning all the time so this is this one's kind of nice i like this and you can tell how can you tell they're russian because it looks russian well it looks russian but what's the main thing in here that tells you they're russian In Russia, they don't use palms on Palm Sunday because it's too cold. Oh. So they use pussy willows. So when you know, like we take our palms and put them behind the icon for you know to keep them for next year. Well, that's what this is. That's a pussy willow that they've kept for the next year to take back to the church and burn. 
crash. Now, they don't take them back to the church and burn them. I don't know what they do with them in the Easter night. But, uh, you know, we bring our palms back and we burn those, and that's what makes the ashes for Ash Wednesday. So, um, that's, a, you know, he's got a whole bookcase there of icons and everything else. Um, I kind of like how he's got his Bible front and center there. Um, see, this is a corner somebody's done. They've got a couple lamps. Um, Saints Peter and Paul, Blessed Virgin Mary, Christ at the top, Mary and John. Uh, in that. That's a simple little corner. We've got, although that looks backwards. I think it is backwards. Um, yeah, it is backwards because the point on the cross. Let's see. That's something simple. Look, there's the light switch in the middle. And once you start seeing a lot of these icons, you'll just immediately know which ones they are. Uh, for example, you know, what's that one right there? Resurrection. That's the resurrection, right? <clears throat> We've got the nativity right below it. No, yeah, the nativity's right below it. Okay, here's somebody who, you know, theirs keeps growing. They've got their palm up there. We've got a little table. Um, and they just kind of keep growing and growing. Looks like St. Patrick there. Um, here's somebody who, who puts them above their fireplace. That's a good thing. You can stand in front of the fireplace. There, you see they've got a little sensor there. Um, you can use a little sensor in your home. This one's kind of nice and simple. Um, you know, it's got a kneeler, play, uh, his, his books here to pray out of, the cross, his palm behind it, here's a candle, and then, I don't know why the icon's over there instead of maybe over here someplace. I guess it'd be out of whack or something. Here's a little corner somebody did. Um, here, that's kind of a nice one. They've got the whole hanging lamp and everything in there. They've got a sensor, a candle, their prayer book, all kinds of things there. That looks like kind of a, under the stairs or something. So, yeah. It almost says the, um, her, uh, the tornado shelter. Every tornado shelter should have a prayer corner, that's for sure. This person's really serious. They've got, they've got like, this may be a priest. I'm going to guess this is a priest because they've got not one, but two prayer books. Here's some more prayer books over here. They've actually got the liturgicon to, to like, say liturgy, you know. That's interesting. Here's a nice, simple one. That's a nice triptych. Icons in the bedroom. So there's an icon of Aaron. An icon of St. David of Wales. St. Elizabeth, the Grand Duchess and Passion Bearer. That's... There's two icons you'll see like this. One is two men and one's, one's a man and a woman. If it's two men, it's Saints Peter and Paul. If it's a one, man and a woman, it's Saints Joachim and Anna, who are the parents of the Blessed Virgin Mary. Okay. 
but this one is unique because they're always in front of their bed. Um, that's kind of a modern, more modern version, or I guess, I guess Renaissance version of it, perhaps. Icons in the kitchen. We'll see one here in a minute for, um, I believe this is it. That's the cook guy. San mm -hmm. the cook. Isn't that Sandy's? Could be. Could be. She put this presentation together, so, you know, there's his icon. He's also the saint of lost things. Is he? Yes. I lose a lot of things in the I kitchen. Know that. Yeah. Yeah. I had to cut one of her saint. I had to cut one of her her pictures out of here because she had something and it is like post schismatic, so I had mm. to cut them out. But these are nice. If you're walking in the garden, um, Saint Seraphim of Seraph actually prayed the rosary, which kind of sounds strange because the you know you think of the rosary as a Western tradition, but the way he prayed it was, and instead of using beads. He actually had a path in his garden, and there are little stations. So you can do something like that uh, here, yeah, either as a as a kind of a greeting to your home, or you know, in your garden, you can set up a path and and walk a prayer path. Archangel Michael, and that may be it. So the key things though are the key things to remember are don't think you have to go all out um, even if you just start with even if you don't have any icons to start with just start with a clean space that's dedicated to that you're not going to put your wallet there you're not going to put your keys there you're not going to you know put your prayer book there that's a good start just have a place where you start and then you know if you acquire some icons that's great put the icons up there but it's not like you have to build a chapel or anything. So, um, any questions? Anything else? Um, you can always get icons at the bookstore, of course. And um, they'll be happy to, to sell you those. Um, and icons can be either handwritten. We call them written, not painted because we don't like to view them as works of art. Um, they're, they're actually, we call them written because in the days when nobody could read, that was their, that was their books basically, were the icons. So I can sit and I can point to an icon of the resurrection and I can tell you the story of the resurrection through that icon because of all the images that, that it contains. Um, so we always talk about writing icons. We don't, we don't paint icons. Um, so, um, any questions, comments, concerns? No. no?